So we're looking at um, Daniel. Uh, we're in the Daniel story. We're looking at Daniel chapter 2. And just want to need to tell you the story about this. Really. The, the title for this is called Thriving Under Pressure, which is what we want to look at this morning. And uh, Daniel certainly knew what it was to live under pressure. And you see, his boss was the king, okay, King Nebuchadnezzar. And the boss in, in Daniel chapter 2 is under pressure because he's had a dream in the night and the dream has disturbed him so much he doesn't know what to do about it. And so because he's the boss, and, and Pat alluded to this when, when she was talking in the interview earlier on, because he was under pressure, guess what? You're going to be under pressure, because that's how it works, isn't it? How many of you know that's true? The boss is under pressure, the team is under pressure. So the team are really under pressure. Now, if you ever think you have a demanding boss, just listen to how demanding Daniel's boss was in Daniel chapter 2, verse 5. The king replied to the astrologers, which is part of his team, This is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. All right, that's that's a demanding boss, isn't it? But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. No pressure. I've added that in. There's a lot of pressure. Now, that style of leadership, all right, that's archetypal carrot and stick leadership. You understand that, don't you? If you tell me the dream, I'll give you lots of money. If you don't tell me the dream, I'll cut you into pieces. If you're a boss this morning, I recommend you don't try this, okay? You don't use this as a, as a way of motivating your team. But the boss is under pressure, therefore the team is under pressure, and Daniel, our hero, is one of the team. He's also under pressure. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you're really welcome. We are so glad you're here. Can I say that first? But you might think that being a follower of Jesus is a little bit like, okay, I'm going to walk through this wardrobe into a new world like Narnia. And then when I'm in there, I'm going to have no pressure, no trouble. God's going to protect me and nothing bad's going to happen. I'm sorry, don't go through that door. That door doesn't exist. Just because Daniel is a follower of God does not mean he's exempt from the pressure of that work scenario. He's under pressure as well. And and, and the fury of Babylon explodes over these people and over Daniel through the king. And it says in verse 11, uh, see the advisors then go to Daniel, go go to the king and they say, listen, I I know we're under this big pressure here, okay? Interpret the dream or get cut into piles of of stuff and rubble and all that kind of thing. But they say this, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans, interesting phrase. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends and put them to death. So Daniel is under pressure, would you agree? And I think there may be one or two of us in this room who are also under pressure right now. Perhaps you're under pressure in the workplace like Daniel was. Perhaps like you heard from Pat this morning, if you work in the public sector in any way, shape or form, you guys are under pressure right now. That's for sure. But you may work in another place, in another scenario, in another context and you're under pressure at work right now. Perhaps you've got a demanding boss. Perhaps you've got deadlines that are coming. Perhaps you've got all kinds of challenges to your faith and how you're going to work out your faith if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you've got pressures there as well. But it may be that some of you, your pressures aren't at workplace, they're in the family. You've got pressures with your kids. You've got pressures in your marriage. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Perhaps for some of you, that isn't where your pressure is. Your pressure is in your finances. Your pressure is in your health. 
Your pressure is in your friendships or wherever the pressure is. And you can feel when you're under pressure that if I could just survive, that would be success. And it would be. And here's the challenge though, not just to survive, but to thrive when you're living under pressure. And what Daniel does is Daniel gives us a strategy for thriving under pressure, which I want to share with you this morning. There's three parts to this strategy. Number one, he handles the pressure with the skills he has developed. Listen to verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him, and here's two skills, with wisdom and tact. Wisdom and tact are two life skills that you can develop over time. How many of you know tact is really difficult, isn't it? I think it is. I'm often not tactful, and it's a challenge. And, and in our British history, our greatest British person in history, according to surveys, was Winston Churchill. Okay, now Winston Churchill was a great leader in the Second World War, wasn't well known for his tact. Okay, in fact, here's a great story about Winston Churchill. Lady Astor says to him, Winston, if I were your wife, I'd put poison in your coffee. To which Churchill responds, Nancy, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. You don't want to try that with your wife, okay? Or, or with, that's not tactful. Not tactful. Very clever, witty. Not tactful. Tact is a life skill we can develop. Wisdom is even more important. You see, wisdom is not the same as knowledge. You see, we, we grow up now, or, or our young people are growing up in a culture that is overloaded with information and knowledge. Just because you know things doesn't make you wise. Knowledge and wisdom are different things. Wisdom comes from character and it comes from developing wisdom over time. A guy called Viv Thomas actually used to be in OM, wrote a book about Daniel and he quotes this, Wisdom comes from a thousand encounters with things, immense and trivial, which we observe, digest and build into some subconscious whole. It's a great phrase. So we take experiences of life, we build them into our subconscious whole and we live out from those experiences. But there are other skills you can develop to handle pressure. And you see another one here in the life of Daniel in verse 15. So, so this, thing, this edict comes out. The, the king, the boss is under pressure. He's going to cut you up and kill you if you don't uh, interpret the dream. And then he says, Daniel says this to the king's officer. Why did the king issue such a harsh degree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. I want to say something really, really important here. And this is not really... If I go off on a track here, I'm going to struggle. So I'm going to say just one thing. If you work for someone else, there's great life skill right here. Because what he does is he says, I'm going to get underneath the surface of the fury of the boss. Why is he reacting like that? What's going on underneath? What is it like to be in his shoes? What's some of the pressure that he is under or she is under that's kicking down to me? That's great wisdom. It's great, self, it's great leading up is what the Americans call it. It's great being outside. okay, you're furious towards me and I don't quite understand it. I don't like it, but let me dig underneath it. And he uses a skill to try and dig underneath it. And then he goes into the king and he asks for time. Just give me some time. Great life skills really help us to handle pressure. But there's something else. There's something else to this strategy of handling pressure. Because he does all that. He uses the skills he's developed. But then in verse 17, it says this. He shares the pressure with his friends. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And can you notice this? He goes to the friends face to face, not face to book. And it's like what I did there. Now, they didn't have social media then. Okay, so he could only go face to face. We do have social media now. We should still go face to face when it comes to certain things. 
And can I encourage you, lovingly and pastorally, do not vent all your emotional stuff out on the world for everyone to see. Go find some real people who are real friends that you can really talk to. That's the way to deal with pressure. When you vent on Facebook, okay, all you do is splurge it out. It doesn't deal with the pressure. But when you go to real trusted friends, face to face, not face to book, that's a great strategy in terms of handling pressure. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. The third thing, he releases the pressure to God. So he uses the life skills. He goes to his friends. Then he releases it to God in verse 18. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You know, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, ultimately how we deal with pressure, how we thrive with pressure is releasing that pressure to God. But you know, so many of us live by this kind of maxim. Why pray when you can panic? But actually, we have an incredible gift, the gift of prayer. That doesn't mean that we don't use life skills like he did here. It doesn't mean we don't use relationships like he did here. But another part, this kind of three-pronged strategy is to release that pressure to God. Again, Viv Thomas writes this. Prayer does not always bring the answers we want, but it sets up the conditions for us to respond to whatever answers we get. Isn't that amazing? Prayer doesn't give us the answers we want all the time. But it sets up the conditions for us to respond to the answers we get. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the big difference between you and God is this. God doesn't think he's you. You get what I mean there, don't you? You see, when you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if we handle pressure without reference to him, it's a little bit like we think we're him. And we say, God, don't worry about this. I've got this one covered. See, if I just work a bit harder, if I just read a bit more, if I just try a bit harder, if I manipulate a bit, if I do this, if I do that, if I do that, then I can do it. Already, thanks for your offer, but I've got it. But you see, God is under no illusions that he's like you. The problem is we're under a lot of illusions that we're like him. And Daniel, this great man with wisdom and tact and knowledge and understanding, ultimately releases the pressure to God and he thrives. So here's a strategy, how we thrive under pressure. Develop good skills, share the pressure with the right people, release the pressure to God. Central to this is the, the thing that I want to talk about today. You see, every week, we're gonna, I'm going to share with you like a big idea, one big idea. Last week, it was this. We thrive by making decisions consistent with our deepest values. This week, our big idea is this. We thrive by intentionally doing life with the right people. Intentionally doing life with the right people. No, I didn't say living life with the right people but doing life with the right people. Some of you in this room, you live alone. You don't have a choice about that. You live alone. I'm not talking about that. Sometimes we live alone. That's okay. But doing life alone is different from living alone. You do not have to do life alone, even if you live life alone. Now, Facebook has some really good uh, points, I think. In fact, some of you who follow me on Facebook or are friends of me on Facebook, rather, and follow me on Twitter, you'll know that yesterday I had quite a good day. Uh, it, I know. I went to the football, okay, and uh, Villa, my team, not only thriving under pressure, but we had to survive under pressure because if we didn't win yesterday, uh, we were in big trouble. And uh, someone uh, enabled me to go and to go into the players' lounge and to meet the wags and to meet some of the players and to have that whole experience, which was brilliant. And I put that all up on Facebook because not only did we survive yesterday, but we won 3-1, which is quite amazing, okay? So I had a great day and I chose to put those pictures up about me on Facebook. That's fine. But here's the thing with social media. You don't always get to choose what goes up about you on social media. And so a couple of weeks ago, someone in this church who I didn't know up until this picture went on Facebook that I had any connection with way back in my childhood put a picture of me 
on Facebook, tagged me in it, so I've got nearly 2,000 friends on Facebook all across the world. They saw this. I had people from Singapore say, ha, ha, I saw you on that picture. Really I didn't put it up. Somebody else put it up. Here's the picture. This is from 1979, and I am one of these little lads on this picture. This is the Salvation Army, and this is the Sunday School anniversary. Now, if you look, I wonder if you can guess which fine specimen of a young, weedy little boy I actually am. The one in the dress. <laughs> So, have we got some stewards here? We need to remove this. Actually, actually, this is me. Red circle. There, that's me. Now, I know. Oh, what, a, what a wimp. What a weedy little boy. I was 23 at the time. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. Now, when I looked at the picture first, I thought, oh, put, I didn't want that. And then I, thought, I looked a little bit more. And, thought, and, and in the row in front of me and the lad along next to the girl, that's Martin Jackson who plays bass in the, here in the church. And my sister's on there as well. She's the other part of the thing. But then I thought this. And you know what? Just a few years after that, Lee, who led worship this morning, also was part of that and joined and became a Christian. And then I thought about this. Do you know what? As I look back over my life so far, those two guys, Martin and Lee, I have known together collectively for over 70 years. And we're still doing life together. And I had a little bit of a moment, do you know what I mean, where I thought, how fantastic it is to do relationship intentionally with the right kind of people. And, st- and we've had some ups and downs together over that last collective 70 years. They, we have individually and we have together and collectively. But still doing life, still pursuing God, still wanting the best for one another after a collective 70 years. You know, Billy Graham, the famous American evangelist, uh, he set out in his ministry um, uh, in his 20s. And there was a group of about five or six of these guys. And they committed to being together to work and serve Jesus together for all of their life. And they... They did that, and, they, you know, and then, then actually they bought houses near each other. So they could not only do life with each other, but they could be with each other at their end. Something fantastic about that. Doing life intentionally with the right people. And I want to say some things to you about relationship. Number one, we were created for relationship. You know that, don't you? You see, when God created the earth, he created lots of things, and he said when he created something, this is good. So he creates and he says, that's great. That's good. That's really good. That's great. The first time he said it's not good was when he created man and he realized man was on his own. So everything else he created was good until he created man and he realized man was on his own. And he said, that's not good. Because we were created for a relationship. And when Jesus came along, the Bible says in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him. Not just on his team, not just doing his task, not just with a job description, but with him. Because we were created for a relationship. But secondly, we're stronger with relationship. However strong you feel, we are stronger with relationship. Nelson Mandela, when he was put in prison in Robben Island in South Africa for 27 years, because he was standing against the apartheid system in South Africa, and he was put there with a whole load of other people. And this is what he says. The authority's greatest mistake was to keep us all together. Because for together, our determination was reinforced. We supported each other and we gained strength from each other. Whatever we knew... Whatever we learned, we shared, and by sharing, we multiply whatever courage we had individually. That is not to say we were all alike in our responses for the hardships we suffered. Men have different capacities and react differently to stress or to pressure. But the stronger ones raised up the weaker ones, and both became stronger in the process. I I want to plant something in your heart this morning and your mind. Relationship is fantastic, it's painful, it's difficult. There's a risk, you'll get hurt, but it's still worth it because we were created for it and we are stronger together than apart. 
And research suggests that if you join a group of any description, you extend your life expectancy. So I want to say something to some of you older folks here this morning. And you get older on in your life and perhaps your husband or your uh, uh, wife passes away and you end up on your own. Please do all you can to connect with other people. Join groups. Join any kind of groups. Because research says, and I think the Bible backs it up, that you're, not only will you extend your life, but actually the quality of your life is extended when you're connected with other people. And if that's true, that, that, that small groups extend your life expectancy, I want to say to Dan, we need to adopt a new motto for our life groups here in the church. Join a group or die. <laughs> How about that? It's got a ring. It's got a ring to it, hasn't it? So if you're not yet in a small group here within this church, you can do that or you'll die. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and you can go to the welcome area at the back and you can sign up and there are all kinds of groups, men's group, women's groups, um, you know, mixed groups, uh, family groups, groups that meet on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, a Sunday afternoon, Saturday, all different kinds of things. But let's get connected. And that's why gathering on a Sunday is important as well. This is part of relationship. This is part of what makes us stronger. And you think, well, I'm strong enough. Well, then you help someone who's not so strong. You see, the purpose, the goal is not the gathering. Gathering fuels the goal. The goal is if you're not yet a follower of Jesus to help connect you to him, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's helped to inspire you, align you, encourage you, challenge you, and send you out so that you can thrive where God has placed you to be. The goal is not the gathering, but the gathering fuels the goal. And listen, if you're feeling fed up, if you're feeling that life is tough, the worst thing you can do is to stay away. Do not stay away from this. Do not stay away from relationship. I know there are times and seasons, but this is what Christians often do. Going through a tough time, can't go to church. Wrong thing. Because it's in that space, it's in that environment where you allow that collective power of community to encourage and strengthen you. And you might think, well, I don't need that. Again, don't stay away. We might need what you've got. You might come along and help encourage and inspire us. The goal is not the gathering. Gathering fuels the goal. You need it. I need it. Collectively, we need it. And thirdly, we get perspective through relationship. I love this African proverb which says this, Alone I have seen many wonderful things, none of which are true. And it's just this idea that if I'm just on my own in my own life and seeing the world through my eyes, it's going to get a little bit out of whack. We need other people to help us get perspective. And the result of this strategy is startling. Listen to this, to, to what happens. When, when Daniel does all these three things, listen to what happens and, and listen to the emphasis that I put. Verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. You see, when he uses life skills and when he shares the pressure with his friends and when they collectively release that to God, God intervenes. God speaks to them and then their perspective is changed and they realize that however big and powerful and ugly their boss is, God is bigger. However loud he shouts, God's voice is louder. However much the boss tries to control them, he's ultimately under the control of our heavenly king. And that's, I think that is absolutely amazing. And it happened because of this strategy for handling pressure. Life skills, right people, release it to God. So what about you today? 
How are you handling the pressure that you're under? I want to say a word to those of you that are married. We often don't speak about marriage in this church, and I think we should do. One of the reasons we don't is because we're so acutely aware that not all of you are married. Some of you are single. Some of you have been through divorce, been through relational pain, and we don't want to alienate you or, or, or in any way make you feel that you're not part of the conversation. But in doing that, sometimes we miss saying really important things. So if you are married or are thinking about being married, I want to say something to you. Do you want your marriage to survive, which actually in today's culture is success? Because we, me and Alison, just celebrated our silver wedding anniversary a few weekends ago. And for our age and anyone underneath, if you get to 25 years married, you're not doing bad. Because that's quite success. But we don't want just to survive. We want to thrive. And if you want your marriage to thrive... We need to think about a few things. You see, when you're starting out on this, perhaps you're not married yet. If you, want, if you want a marriage to thrive, it's really important that you choose the right person to marry. Not just because you fancy them, but because actually they are aligned to you in terms of values and direction and which road you're going to go down your life. And then when you are married and you're into the whole marriage thing, you know, it's really important that you pay attention to that because it's so easy for a slow fade to happen. See, Casting Crowns, that, that, the band that we promote in that album, they did another song a few years ago called Slow Fade. And what happens with there is that marriages don't break up overnight. They never do. What happens is there's a slow fade. Just not paying attention to things, letting things go, pushing things under the carpet, and slowly over time, the fade results in a breakup. None of us want that. Nobody that walks down the aisle wants that to happen. It just happens, doesn't it? And it's because of a slow faith. But then when you've been married a long time, like we're in that other thing now, 25 years, don't just think, oh, we've done that. Because that, you know, in the latter part, in, as you go on as ma- in marriage, you want it to thrive as you go on, don't you? For me, I know for me, I'm sure Alison's the same. I hope she is. We want our marriage to get better as we go on in years. Uh, it reminds me of something I read this week, actually, from um, Tony Campolo. He said this, you know you're old when your wife says, let's go upstairs and have sex. And you say, I can't do both. <laughs> to, which, to which I say, why go upstairs? It's like a no-brainer, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? But this, this whole idea about actually, that actually as you get older in your marriage, we want it to thrive. You want your marriage to thrive. Is there anyone else with me? So you're still working out that whole last thing, aren't you there, okay? Can I say, if you are married and you're both Christians, let me say, the single biggest issue of whether your marriage will survive and thrive is if you pray together. So if you're, if you're married this morning, okay, I want to say pay attention to your marriage, get help, and get help early, not late, and think about praying together. So this is the interesting thing. Statistics in America, and I don't know what they are in the UK, but I'm sure they're not that different from this, are this. That one in two, one in three marriages of any description, whether you're Christian or not, will end up in divorce. But if you pray together as Christians, it's one in 10,000 that will end up in divorce. That's staggering. That's absolutely staggering. There's like something there that if you pray together, you have an increased capacity or an opportunity to stay together. And not just to survive, but to thrive. I want to finish by saying something to all of us. Who are you intentionally doing life with? And I want to use eight questions that Gordon MacDonald uses in his book, Resilient Life, just to throw them out there and to inspire you and encourage you. So just think about the people that you're intentionally doing life with and ask yourself the question, who coaches you? 
Who coaches you? I don't mean officially. Some of you will have that in your work. Like I have a coach that I go to at certain times and she coaches me. That, I don't mean that. That's important. I mean, who in your life is further on than you? Who disciples, who mentors, who encourages you? We don't need more textbooks. We need text people. We need people to live out that. So who coaches you? Secondly, who stretches you, especially your thinking? Who stretches your mind? Are you always only with people who think just like you? Or do you get alongside other people who when you walk away thinking, I feel stretched. I feel sharp. I feel I'm thinking. I'm changing my mind. When was the last time you changed your mind? If you don't change your mind, you're not thriving. Because you only grow when you change your mind. We had our young adult life group this week. And I said to the guys, guys, I change my mind often. When I stop changing my mind, then I'm not growing. We need to be with people who stretch us. Who listens to you and encourages your dreams? That's difficult to find, isn't it? People that actually don't just say, oh, here's why you shouldn't do that, or that's too expensive, or that will go wrong, but actually who just listen to you and create a space where they say, oh, that's fantastic. What will that look like? Why do you want to do that? And actually create an environment where your dreams can flourish and where you sense that actually they're for me and they want to encourage me. Who protects you? Who's got your back? I think those two guys I mentioned have protected me a lot over these last few years. And I know that they're there and can go there. And one of the, one of the great Bible characters is Barnabas. And, uh, and when Saul, who became Paul, when he became a Christian, uh, before he was a Christian, he killed Christians. He persecuted Christians. Then he became a Christian. Uh, and all the other Christians were like, whoa, this is the guy that was killing our friends. But Barnabas was the one that took him and introduced him to them and vouched for him. Then when the church at Antioch sprung up, Barnabas was the one that went down and saw what God was doing and vouched for them. And then when John Mark um, messed up and Paul wanted to kick him off the team, Barnabas was the one that vouched for John Mark and said, I'll take him with me. He got your back. Who protects you? Who's got your back? What about who shares your tears? There are times when we want to need people who give us solutions and way outs and ideas and strategies. Sometimes we just want to be with someone who puts their arm around our shoulder and feels our pain. That's important. Who challenges you? The old word is rebuke. This week I had a, a conversation on Skype with, with someone who's, who's a pastor and a leader, much more experienced than I am, much older than I am, who contacted me and said, I, I want, I'm in a situation. I don't know if I'm handling it right. Will you speak into this? Let me send you some emails, read it, pray about it, Skype me back, tell me if I'm right or wrong. My respect for that guy goes up because there's someone who's much older than me, much more experienced than me saying, I want you to speak into my life. And if I'm wrong, tell me. It's frightening to me how many Christians hear people who love them say the same thing and still disregard it. You're stupid. Sorry. It's crazy. If loads of people who love you tell you the same thing, guess what? They're right. And if you've got a heart and a mind to say, I want to grow, then you'll say, please, I need someone in my life who loves me enough to tell me the truth. To tell me the truth. Who challenges you? Who has fun with you? Who has fun with you? The root word in English for the word play has to do with learning. It's connected to the word for learning. We genuinely grow and thrive when we play whatever age we are. And as you get older, the definition of play changes, doesn't it? And it says, well, I'm really happy to play as long as we finish by 10 o'clock with a glass of warm milk. You know, and some of you are thinking 10 o'clock's a little bit late. And it changes, but you've got to have fun. You've got to play. You've got to have people in your life who you have fun with. And finally, who pursues God with you? Who pursues God with you? Just this, this quote, there are certain people who enable us to be as we have never been before. I love that. There are certain people who enable us to be as we've never been before. This must include people who help us pursue God and who pursue God with us. And when we're with people, you, you, when you're with people 
like this. You're just like, you're more hungry for God. You want to do more stuff for God. You want to get out of your comfort zone. You want to step out of the boat. They sharpen you. They encourage you. They inspire you. They lift you. And you know what's truly breathtaking and beautiful? When you find some people who do lots of these things for you. We spent a few days together just a few weekends ago with some people like that. We had fun with them. We felt understood. And there were times when we pursued God together. And I'll tell you, it is breathtakingly beautiful when you have moments like that. There are certain people who enable us to be as we have never been before. Just as we finish, in a moment we're going to take communion. And I'm going to link to communion in a moment. But before we do that, I want to say a couple of closing comments. If you have some of these people in your life, be grateful to God for them. And tell them. Tell those people that you are grateful and thankful to God that they are in your life. You see, when they die, you'll tell everyone then, won't you? At the funeral, you'll get up and say, this person was so fantastic, they did this for me, this is what God brought them into my life and my life was better. because Why don't you tell them before they're dead? Because they're not going to hear it anyway. Why don't we tell each other how grateful and thankful to God we are for the people that are in our life? If you don't have all of these people in your life right now, keep your eyes open. I don't have all of these people in my life right now. Some of those categories, I don't have them in my life right now. You've got to keep open to them. Some of you think, all right, I don't think I've got hardly any of those in my life. You've got to keep even more open. And here's the final thing. Some of you could say, I don't have many of these people in my life. How about this? You could be one of those people, couldn't you? See, many of us will look at that list and say, well, where's my coach and where's my this and where's my that and where's my other? Or we could look at that and say, do you know what? I could be that to somebody. I could have fun with that person. I could cover their back. I could pursue God. You could, instead of saying, where's mine, you could say, I could be one of those people for someone else. And ask the band to come back. And in a moment, we're going to take communion together, which is bread and juice if you're not used to this and it's going to be passed around you. And it is symbolic of the, the body and the, the death and the life of Jesus. And you're welcome to take this with us, okay? Whoever you are, whatever background you come from, wherever you are on the faith journey, you are welcome. But you know, the Bible says uh, in, in, in Proverbs, I think it is, that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's a reference to Jesus. And Jesus, who, who wanted relationship, who, who appointed people to be with him, he also turned around in John 15 and he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. He's still God and we are still servants, but our relationship is different. Listen, your relationship to God is not the same as Daniel's to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is not like God. That's not how he deals with you. He is not demanding. He doesn't use carrot and stick. He doesn't vent his fury on you. He says, I no longer call you servants, let alone employees. I call you friends. He shares his heart with us. So as we take communion together, I want to encourage you to reconnect with the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And as you do this, I'm going to ask that we do something a little bit unusual today. I'm going to ask the band are going to sing over you for a few moments, okay? And while they do this, I want you to do something. I want you to think of people who are in your life who you're intentionally doing life with, and I want you to thank God for them. And then I want you this week to find a way of expressing your thanks to those people. Tell them, tell them that they mean something to you. Tell them that they're important to you. Tell them that you thank God for them. And it may be that some of you are saying, but I I really still really, really want some of these people. Are you open? Are you open for some of these people coming into your life? And if you are, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me this morning. So if you are, I want us to bow our heads. 
And I want you to just put your hands out in front of you. You might think that's a little bit weird, but that's okay. But you know, having your hands open physically is a lot about what's really going on on the inside. And you can sit there with your arms folded or your fists clenched, or you can open your hands and say, God, I want some of these relationships and I want to pray. Father, we thank you for relationship. We thank you, God, that we can do life with people. God, when we do that, we're stronger. When we do that, we get perspective. When we do that, we don't just survive, but we thrive. We live life as it was meant to be, even in hard, tough, hostile environments. So God, we're sat here, a few hundred people with our hands out open. And we want to say to you, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, the one who doesn't call us servant but calls us friends, God, would you bring some people like this into our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Keep us open. Keep our hands open, not folded or fists clenched, but open to those relationships that you have for us. And the ones that we do have and the ones that you bring along, help us to value them and to tell them that we value them. And Lord, there may be moments when we won't have any other relationships. We will really need to know that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And God, as we worship now and as we take communion, help us to reconnect with this friend. The friend who sticks closer than a brother. The one who doesn't call us servant, but who calls us friend.